this morning, my hope is that our message, our text, and our time together will be an encouragement to you. But I also know that as I've been studying, I realize that there uh, may be some, um, some of you who may be troubled after this morning. That in your spirit, you may begin to, uh, to have um, just, uh, you're going to need to wrestle with some things this morning. And some things that I've needed to wrestle with as I've looked at uh, 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 3 through 6. And I'm warning you of that because I want you to understand that God's, uh, God desires for us to have confidence in our salvation. And many of you joyfully can proclaim that I am truly saved. I am truly a follower of Jesus. I am truly a child of God. I know that I know. And so praise God. But I know that in a, in a group this size that there are probably some of you and some of us who have at times in our faith and in our, in our Christian journey where we have wrestled with doubts and we have had uh, difficulties uh, in, in life. Um, and, and so as we've thought about our, uh, about our faith and our walk with Christ, some, some of us have had doubts about that. And we, we maybe know Christ, but we don't know that we know Christ. And so this morning, I hope that, that you won't leave troubled for long. This might bring some, uh, some, uh, some inner turmoil in your life as we discuss this. It might actually bring up some doubts. It might actually surface some doubts that you have had in the past, or maybe you're repressing them and you're just saying, oh, please, I just, I, I believe that I'm saved. But, but my, um, the, the, the thing I take comfort in and the thing I want you to take comfort in is that God desires that you would know that you know Christ. Amen. And we're going to find that in this text. And so, again, some of you are going to look at this and just, you know, bada bing, bada boom, like, you're good. Like, this is great. I joyfully am thankful that I know that I know that I know Jesus. But then others of you, it's going to stir up some of those doubts that you've had. Maybe some doubts that you do have currently. And it's going to uh, bring about hopefully, a, a, a deep confidence in your faith. Now, I, I want to say one more thing, though. Um, it could cause some of you um, to, to realize, yeah, uh, to realize that there is some, uh, some, some repentance, uh, that, that you're going to realize that you need to be saved. You've never been saved. Thank you. I have the first page of my notes. I'm working on that now, but I was waiting on this. Thank you. That was, um, really needed that. Uh, so, uh, so the point is, um, there, there may be some at the end of this morning, as we discuss this text, that you realize, maybe for the first time, that I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved. And I actually want you to sit with that turmoil, and I believe the text wants us to sit with that strife. In our lives, because if you're not actually saved, then the good news for you is still that you can be saved, that you and then and then that you can know that you know that you are saved. And so I want us to read this text and uh, and and really just allow the Holy Spirit of God to do a work in our hearts that only He can do, and that He would give us confidence in knowing Him. And uh, for any who are not saved, that he would give us salvation today. That today would be the day of salvation for us. So uh, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. 
Do you see the confidence that God himself desires for us to have? John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, this is how we know that we know. And then he's saying again in a few sentences, he's saying, this is how we know we are in him. There is a certainty and a confidence that true believers can enjoy. We can have assurance of our salvation. And though you may have had seasons of doubt, I want you to leave today with a certainty and a conviction that you know that you know that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All right? And, uh, again, if you are not in Christ, that you would trust in him today and that you can also have certainty in knowing him. And so, really, I'm going to ask a series of questions uh, that come out of the text that, that I think are going to help us to, um, to process, just kind of go through a self-evaluation this morning. Uh, and, and other places in Scripture tell us that we should evaluate our salvation. We should test to see whether or not we are, in fact, in the faith. And so this is an evaluation that we should take as followers of Jesus and as children of God. And so let me ask you a series of questions. You don't have to answer them out loud. But the first question that I want to ask this morning is, do you know the gospel? See, if we're going to know that we know Christ, then the foundational message that came to us by which we must be saved is the name of Jesus and the, the, the gospel that teaches us that we are sinners and that Jesus was a holy and righteous Savior. And that we needed him to uh, pay the penalty because we could not have paid the penalty ourselves. And so the question is, do you know the gospel? And we're going to actually backtrack a little bit back into uh, chapter 1, verse 9, and kind of pick it up from there to, to, to re review the gospel for ourselves. Now, if you were here last week, you know that we already talked about verses uh, chapter 1 and 9 through uh, verse 2. But that's the whole point of why this paragraph is in 1 John, is that we would review it. If you remember last week, I mentioned that the text where it says, if you confess, it says in verse 9, if we confess our sins. John was speaking to believers when he said that we are to confess our sins. And so this is all in the context of the church. John seems to know and appreciate that some of us might at times have doubts about our faith. Am I truly saved? Will I be in heaven for eternity with, with God? Um, and so he knew that we would have these questions. And so he's saying to us that we should continually, we should keep on confessing our sins. And he reminds us in verse 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that doesn't make sense. If you just looked at that one sentence, that doesn't make sense. That defies any one of us. It defies our concept of justice. Um, if we confess our sins, if we just simply confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Would we do that in a court of law? Would we look at a judge who just heard you know, the charges read against uh, the defendant, or the, what is it, the defendant or the plaintiff? I don't even know. Defendant. The defendant, there you go, thank you. Um, so the charges are read against the defendant. The defendant is guilty. The defendant is a murderer. And the charges have been read. And the murderer says, I confess. I'm guilty. I, I confess. I did murder. I did commit that crime. And the judge says, Seems as though the evidence points to the fact that you are guilty. It seems that uh, you did, in fact, murder. And, but by hearing your confession that you're pleading guilty, I'm going to cleanse you of this crime. I'm going to forgive you of this crime. Your crime is forgiven. You are free to go. 
what would we think of that judge? Has justice been done? No. So as we look at this one sentence, we look at it and we go, that doesn't make sense. A, a judge is not faithful and righteous by letting murderers go free. And a holy and righteous judge, you know, uh, God himself, he even says, I am a just God. I'm not going to absolve sins. And so God is in the business of justice. He's not going to let anyone go off scot-free just because they confessed their sins. In fact, if this was a human judge, we would impeach that judge. Probably for that one situation. Um, but especially if it was a pattern where this judge is just letting murderers and letting rapists and letting criminals go free just because they pleaded guilty. They confessed to their crimes. Well, if we would impeach that human judge, we certainly wouldn't worship a God who just lets sinners off the hook with no penalty for their crimes. We wouldn't worship that God. But that's okay because that's not the rest of what happens. What happens, and again, we're talking about the gospel. Do you know the gospel? Do you know that you are a sinner? Do you know that you stand before a holy and righteous judge and he will not absolve you of your sins? You will pay the penalty for your crimes. If you have sinned against God and you have, you will pay the penalty. Now, so do you know that you're a sinner? Do you believe that you have sinned? Do you confess your sins? Well, the reason why God can be uh, both faithful and righteous and forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness is because of what happens in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, where it says, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. In other words, we have legal counsel. We have a lawyer who's standing beside us defending us. Um, he's there with us. This is referring to Jesus, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, Jesus is righteous. God is righteous. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty as charged, but I'm standing before this judge, and the judge is asking us, what do you plead? And all I can say is I'm guilty. And guess what? My lawyer, who is also righteous, is also saying, yeah, he's guilty. But he's an advocate with the Father. And what is he advocating? He's not saying that this person, this individual, me, is not guilty. He's saying, yes, he is guilty. So what is he advocating? Well, what he's advocating is what happens in verse 2. And that is that he himself, God in the flesh, Jesus, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not that Jesus, as our advocate, is offering, um, is, is giving a payment, but that he is the payment, right? He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's offered himself uh, to, to be uh, crucified, for his blood to be shed, and he has offered himself willingly as the atoning sacrifice or the, the big fancy word in some translations, is the propitiation. He is the wrath remover. He's not the one just offering the gods, or, or, or in this case, God himself. Um, he's not the one offering him a sacrifice. He's offering himself as the sacrifice. Amen. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Now, I didn't get into that last phrase last week, but let me just say... This is not saying that every single person who's guilty, because we all, we're all guilty, it's not saying that the whole world which is guilty is now washed clean and forgiven. It's saying in this text, in verse 2, that the power of salvation is, uh, is effective for all who will uh, trust in Jesus. So it's... It's that he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours. Look at the scope. Look at the power. It's but also for those of the whole world. So Jesus didn't just offer a propitiation. He is the propitiation. He is the sacrifice. He is the one who removed the wrath of God from us. And so 
how do we look at this passage of Scripture? Does this mean that every time we sin, Jesus has to be crucified over and over again? No, he was crucified once for all. And so what John is saying here in, the, in this section, verses, I'm taking it from verse 9 of chapter 1 through verse 2 of chapter 2, what John is saying is that that has happened for you if you are in Christ, that you do have an advocate. He has offered himself as an atoning sacrifice. And so John's point is that, look, when you sin, I, I'm writing these things so that you won't sin, but when you do, when you sin, as a believer, I don't want you sitting there going, well, am I really, am I really saved? I mean, I messed up again. Yeah, one more time where I've, where I've fallen into this temptation. There's this sin that I... That I've done again. Oh God, you know, am I really yours? Would a child of God really stumble in this way again? And John is saying, I'm writing so that you'll have confidence because you do have an advocate with the Father. And what is he advocating now as a child of God? He's advocating for you that, that Jesus himself has offered himself as a sacrifice for your sins. So stop sinning, yes. But when you do sin, be reminded of the gospel and have confidence not in yourself because you are a human and you will uh, face temptations in life. You are going to sin. When you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. The gospel, which was sufficient for you to save you, that Jesus died and, and bled and, and, and then rose again for you, the gospel that was needed for your salvation continues to be the assurance and the confidence that we continue to need in our sanctification. Thank you. In our walk with Christ, we, we need this continual reminder. That's why I'm reminding you again today, because we already talked about this passage last week, but it's also why John put it in the text to begin with, and it's why we need reminded of the gospel the gospel is not just for the unbelievers. The good news is that, yes, you will sin, but you have an advocate with the Father who is also your atoning sacrifice. Amen. So, there's really two people in this room, and that is those who have an advocate. Thank you, Jesus. And those who need an advocate, thank you, Jesus. If you fall into either of those camps, Jesus has paid the price for your sins. You. And we have an advocate. And so whether you are one who has an advocate, thank the Lord that you have Jesus as your advocate, as the one who has sacrificed for your sins. And if you need an advocate, because again, um, if you're not a Christian, then you don't have an advocate with the Father. That's the bad news. You are a sinner, and you will pay the penalty for your sins. There's a saying, um, you know, if you do the crime, you do the time, right? If you do the crime, you do the time. Well, you did the crime. And so you bear the penalty for your sins. And we know from Scripture that the wages of sin is death. You deserve the death penalty. And so if you need an advocate, you have him in Jesus. Amen. If you have an advocate, be reminded that you have him in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Do you know the gospel? Yes. <clears throat> Has your sin been forgiven? Look, if you try to present your worthiness before God, if you try to say, well, look, I'm a pretty decent person, so I deserve to be forgiven. I deserve to get off uh, of, of, the, of the penalty. Um, look, you don't deserve anything. It's not based on your uh, heritage or ethnicity or 
uh, social status or gender or any, any kind of set of circumstances that you can contribute. You don't contribute anything to your salvation except for your sin. That, that's the only thing that you bring. You bring your sinfulness and you bring your uh, brokenness and you bring your disobedience and you hand that over to, to Christ and you repent of those things and you trust that Jesus will forgive you and bring you in. And, and again, not that the judge is looking at your crimes and saying, ah, never mind, don't worry about it, uh, there's no penalty. Because you confess, just go ahead and go. No, he has already enacted the penalty in his own son on your behalf. So it's not like a judge just letting a murderer go free because they happen to confess. It's because we confess our sins. And Jesus is our advocate. And Jesus is our sacrifice. He's already done the time. He's already paid for the crime. And so we trust in him. And we trust that our sins have been forgiven. Some of us, and I pray this is not so, but some of us are going to sin today. And, and sometimes we don't, we're not even aware of all the ways in which we disobey God. Because we don't know God's word to, to the depths that Jesus knew God's word. We, we don't understand all the ways, the intricate ways in which we are being selfish or prideful or just kind of like sinfulness that we don't even, it's just residual in us that we, we don't realize how many times we sin in a thought or in a, a, a snide remark that we just, just blurt it out or, or, or in an action. And sometimes we know we're aware of our sins, but the point is that some of us are going to sin today. And John is writing these things so that we might not sin but if you do, we have an advocate. So, do you know the gospel? This is the gospel. The gospel is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God the judge is righteous. Jesus our advocate is righteous. And now, not because we did anything, not because we brought anything to the table, not because we paid the penalty, but now we are cleansed and made righteous before God. That is our standing before him. So don't sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. Do you know the gospel? Second question I want to ask so that we can know that we know Christ is, do you know Jesus? I, I want, I, I want to uh, bring up this question because I, I want us to know the person of Jesus. I want us to know him at, in a relationship. I've, I've used the example in the past uh, weeks or so of, of, of how sometimes, you know, uh, we know of people, like maybe celebrities, but we've never met them, you know, uh, Politicians, we know them. You know, we know we know about their families, we know about their policy positions, we know about this and that and the other thing, but we don't know them. Um, <clears throat> I checked, and this is not to brag. In fact, I don't even know who some of these people are, but I just checked recently um, that I have one thousand two hundred and thirteen Facebook friends. Okay, uh, again, I'm not I'm not bragging. That, that really doesn't give you any kind of measure of, of, of anything. <clears throat> but as of this morning, uh, I have 1,213 Facebook friends. Now, I don't really know many of them very well. Some of these are acquaintances, people I've long, you know, you know not heard from for, for ages. I don't know what's going on in their life. I, I'm friends with some elementary school uh, friends, uh, childhood friends. I don't really know what they're doing. I, I might know a little bit about their job or what they're doing now uh, by occupation. I know they're married. You know, just a few, a few details or snippets. I might see a picture here and there, but I don't know them. But I do know my wife and my children. Um, even just uh, yesterday, and th this kind of gives you a sense of like what it's like to know someone closely. <clears throat> Um, yesterday, my wife and my daughter went to a store to pick something up. But before they left, 
my daughter needed to come over and give me a big hug and say goodbye and I love you and I'll be back. And I needed to do that too because we love each other. We have that close relationship. By the way, I did that with my wife too, okay? so, uh, but, but I'm just talking about Zoe for a minute. Uh, you know, not to embarrass her. But, but so my daughter comes over and they're, they're just going out for a, an hour, like less than an hour. And, and so they go out and when they come back, she runs into my arms and says, uh, you know, hi, and, and, and I'm back, and, you know, here's what we did, and, and, and kind of relays everything that just took place over the last hour. Uh, but, but that's what it's like to know someone, is to miss them when they're gone, and, and, and to, uh, to long to be with them, and, and to spend that time with them, and, and, and not to want to leave uh, that person. And so the, the question I'm, I'm asking now is, do you know Jesus? Do you know him like a Facebook friend, or do you know him like family? Do you know Jesus? Look at our text for this morning. It says in verse 3 and 4, it says, this is how we know that we know him. I, I, do you hear the stress that, that, that John is placing on these words? Like, do you, okay, you say you know him, but do you know that you know him? And this is where our doubts crowd that out sometimes, right? We think, well, we've sinned, we've done this, we've done that. I don't know. Uh, am I really saved? Um, I mean, this is a crucial question, right? Uh, you know, my, my eternity hangs in the balance. Am I really saved? Do you know that you know him? And so the, the diagnostic question, the way that we can evaluate this is, do you know Jesus on a personal level? Do you know him, not know about him? Not that you're just getting a couple of Instagram pictures or a couple of Facebook posts from him every once in a while when you happen to open the Bible and read a psalm, uh, you know, once every other week. That's kind of a Facebook level status update, right? That, that's, that's getting to know him on a, on a relationship where you kind of know about him. But I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Do you have this intimate, personal relationship with him? Do you know that you know him? Well, what does it mean to know him? And it, here in verse 1 John 1, 3, it says, uh, I'm sorry, this has got to be in John 1, 3. I have this wrong in my notes, so don't, don't put this on the screen, but in, let me just make sure. <laughs> John chapter 1, verse 3. Oh, no, 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 it is chapter 1. I was looking at 2, verse 3, and I'm like, that's not right. It's 1 John 1. Verse 3, it says, What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to know Jesus? It's to have fellowship, not only to be forgiven of our sins, but actually brought out of that courtroom setting and into the palace. And sit down at the table with our Father, who is the, the, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It's to have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so John, who's writing this, he wants us to experience the love of God. Um, but he wants us to experience that through the light of God. So what does it mean to know Jesus, to be, uh, to be loved by Him? And what does it mean to keep his commands? It means to love him in return. So what does it mean to know Jesus? It means to love, uh, to be loved by him. And what does it mean to keep his commands? It means to love him in return. Be loved by him and love him in return. Uh, because it says here in chapter 2, verse 3, and that's what threw me off. Uh, it says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. Now, on the alternative side of that, verse 4, it says, The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So if you see this, uh, there's two sides. If you, if you say you uh, love him, and you know him, then you'll keep his commands. If you, uh, if you say that you have come to know him, but you don't keep his commands, you're a liar. Um, you don't have that fellowship with him. Um, John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. 
And in John 15, 10, it says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So this idea of obedience, this idea of keeping the commands of our Lord Jesus, is evidence of our love for him and our fellowship with him. And so the, the commands of God are summed up by Jesus as loving God and loving people. And I've mentioned this before, you, you maybe heard this, is, you know, this is good news. Because all of the other religions of the world, they give you a whole list of commands. But Jesus sums up the commands of God as love. This is the kind of command that, that we long to obey, is that we would be able to love and be loved. And so John 13, Jesus says uh, in verse 34 and 35, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Which brings up an interesting twist in what we're talking about. Mostly what John, in 1 John, is talking about here is how do you know that you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you know that you know Jesus? But here's an interesting evaluation uh, uh, piece that we, can, that we can take home with us. This is kind of free of charge. Is, is here in John 13, 34 and 35, it's saying, look, not only will you know that you know, but other people will know that you are with him. See, that's the, that's the additional benefit. It's the additional evidence that you are in him is that you will know that you know because you're being obedient, you're obeying his commands, you're loving and you're being loved. But According to John 13, verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So everyone will know, right? So look at all of the affirmations. Look at all of the assurance. Look at how uh, if you are obedient to Christ, then that's going to give you confidence, not in yourself, but in the work of God, that he truly has done something in you and he is carrying it on to completion in you. So on the other side, the one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Do you realize that maybe not in this room, I, none of us knows everyone's heart perfectly. But here's the thing. There are false teachers. There are, the, the Bible warns us of wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, these are people who are not in. They are not believers. They, they don't know Jesus, who, because of their own, their, their own deception of, their, of themselves, like they've deceived themselves, but they're also deceiving others, and they have crept into the church. I'm talking globally, universally here. They have crept into the church, and they are wolves. They are not children of God. They are false teachers, and the... the the tricky part is it's hard to discern at first glance if someone is uh, truly a disciple and truly saved. Because, again, we don't know at a heart level. Um, but, but Jesus even says that this would happen. He says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many heed the warnings here. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. And look at this last line. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I am praying, if not daily, at least weekly, and praying that God is not allowing any of us to be a lawbreaker, a wolf in sheep's clothing, someone who has crept in and is deceiving not only themselves, but everyone around them. 
but, but that is the reality, is that there are many in the church, and I, again, I pray that, that this is not the case here, but, but in the church there are many people. He says many will not only do things in my name, but they're doing good things. They're doing ministry in the name of Jesus. And yet they are not truly following me. Why? Because they are not doing the will of my Father in heaven. Now it's not that those works of obedience save them, but those works of obedience are evidence of their salvation. So I think what John is saying here in 1 John 2 verse 4 is if you are unwilling to obey Jesus, then don't claim to know him. Let me say that again. If you are unwilling to obey Jesus, then don't claim to know him. And if you're not willing to obey him, and you're falling under conviction right now, not because of the words coming from you know, my voice, but if the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now, then there is hope for you. You can trust in him. You can become saved by professing the name of Jesus and then seeing the evidence of that work itself out in your obedience. So you're saved by grace through faith. It's, it's through Jesus. He's the one who's your advocate. He's the one who is saving you. But if you want to claim that you know Jesus, then the, the works will follow. It's kind of like those, uh, those big trucks Right, that um, they're going to, let's say McDonald's. All right, and on the back of the truck it'll say, you know, on the side of the truck it says McDonald's, and it's a big, you know, picture. On the back it says, "Follow me to McDonald's." It, it, it's it's kind of like if you are truly saved, then you've been saved by grace, not by works. It's not something you could have contributed, but. If you are saved, then those works are going to follow. It's, it's going to lead you towards, um, towards the, the assurance of salvation. All right? So do you know Jesus? John wants us to have confidence in knowing that we know Jesus. That's God's objective here in inspiring this verse. He wants you to know that you know him. And if you don't know him, you can know. So there's nothing but good news here today. <laughs> Regardless of what you're feeling right now. Some of those doubts are, are creeping up. There's a little bit of a struggle in your own mind. But there's good news. There's hope here that, that you can know with confidence and have assurance of salvation. And then finally, I want us not only to you know, to ask the question, do you know the gospel? Uh, do you know Jesus? But finally, I want you to ask the question, do you know his word? Do you know his word? It says in verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. See, verse 3 and 4 tells us that if you love him, you'll obey his commands. Or Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my, my commands. And if, if you want to know that you know him, then you'll keep his commands. Right? But in verse 5 it says, but whoever keeps his word. In other words, it's God's word that's going to show us his commands. I mean, it's just, this is, this is simple. It, it's not easy, but it's simple. Okay? It's just very simple. Like, if you are a sinner. Jesus is your sacrifice. Trust in him. Follow him, he will cleanse you and, and make you righteous, and, uh, and then he'll give you this confidence in knowing him. He'll give you assurance of faith because you're going to see it in your own life. The fruit of the works and the, the obedience is going to show itself, and how are you going to know how to obey him? It's in his word. So do you know his word? And the bigger question here for all of these questions is, do you know that you know him? Well, if you know the gospel, if you know Jesus personally, and if you know his word, then that's going to give you the best evaluation, the best assurance that you truly know him. 
is do you know his word? Verse 5 again, it says, But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. Um, this, is, this is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. So see, um, it's not just a matter of obeying rules. It's a matter of walking in relationship with Jesus. If you know Jesus, then you're going to obey his commands, but not in a sense of like legal obligations, but rather in a sense of walking in a relationship with him. You're going to do what he says because you love him. You're going to follow where he leads because you love him. And you're going to do this out of, out of joy and not out of obligation. You're going to genuinely have a sense of, of desire to follow along with Jesus wherever he goes. And how are you going to learn what, where he's leading you? Well, of course, you have the Holy Spirit, but you have the Word of God. In fact, there's, there's kind of three evidences of salvation. And I think you'll find this helpful. You can write these down. There's, in Scripture, there's an internal evidence of salvation. So, do you know him? Do you know that you know him? Well, there's an internal evidence. Do you have faith in him? So, this internal evidence of salvation is faith. I trust that Jesus is Lord. That he came, he lived uh, 2,000 years ago, he died for my sins, and then he rose again. The resurrection requires faith, doesn't it? We weren't there, we didn't see it, but we, we know it. So do you have faith? Do you trust that that's true? That Jesus died and rose again? Well, then that's an internal evidence of salvation. It says in Romans 10, 17, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. How do we know the message about Christ? It's in the word of God. So this first internal evidence of salvation, which is faith, it comes by the word. Okay? Following me so far? Second uh, evidence of salvation is subjective. There's an internal evidence of salvation, that's faith. But there's an also a subjective evidence of salvation, and that is the spirit. Now, I say subjective not because it's not objectively true that you have the spirit, but it's subjectively true in that I can't, I, I can't tell you if you have the spirit, okay? You either have the Spirit of God in your life or you don't. And that's kind of a subjective, experiential thing. It says in Romans 8, 14 through 17, For all those led by God's Spirit are, excuse me, led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You really are a child of God if you are led by God's Spirit. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. This is the subjective evidence. Is that the Spirit of God in us is testifying uh, with us, together with our spirit, that we are God's children. And if children also heirs. Of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So a subjective evidence of salvation is that you have the spirit of God with you. That you are walking by the spirit and that you are daily uh, striving to walk with the spirit of God. And it's kind of a subjective thing. It's, it's an experiential thing. It's, it's not like the wailings and the, and the uh, speaking in tongues kind of thing. It's just a, a, a sense that the Spirit of God is with you. And then there's thirdly, an objective evidence of salvation. So internal evidence is faith. Subjective evidence of your salvation is the Spirit. Is the Spirit working in you and walk, are you walking with the Spirit? And then thirdly, the objective evidence of salvation is works. It's what 1 John is talking about. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 21 through 23, Jesus says, The one who has my commands and keeps them, and, and the way you have his commands is opening his word, and keep them is by obeying them, is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, it says in the text, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now it's interesting, because I'm giving you three evidences for your salvation that you can apply. This is a filter that you can... You, you can say, do I have faith in Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he died for me, that he rose again? That's, that's an internal evidence of faith. And I'm giving you another evidence of, of your salvation, and that's a subjective uh, evidence, but it's the spirit of God. Are you walking by the spirit? Is the spirit giving you uh, the fruit of the spirit? Are you walking in love and joy and peace and patience? Are you beginning to pursue those things more carefully? Um, and then there's an objective evidence of salvation, which is works. But it's interesting because you need God's word to hear. And so faith, the internal and the subjective and the objective evidence of your salvation all comes out of God's word. You can't evaluate your standing before God apart from the word of God. You need God's word to hear. It's Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. You need God's word to evaluate the subjective experiences you may have as you walk in the Spirit. In other words, as you're walking in the Spirit, and, and he gives you some kind of a random thing, and you go to Scripture and say, is this something that conforms to Scripture, or is this just some, you know, I ate a bad burrito from 7-Eleven last night, and I'm having a weird experience. Um, is, is this really the Spirit of God? Or is this just some wacky thing that, that happened to me? How do you evaluate whether you have the Spirit? You evaluate it by the Word of God. And, and the Spirit, you know, God even tells us to do that. So you need God's Word to hear internally. You need God's Word to evaluate the subjective experiences you may have as you walk in the Spirit. And you need God's Word to know the commands that you're to obey. So do you know God's word. Do you know God's word? <clears throat> you know, as I come to a, a conclusion here, um, <clears throat> you know, I think it's important for us to not only know about Jesus, it, it's not just that we know facts about God's word. The questions that we're asking this morning is, do you know the gospel? Has the gospel transformed you? Do you know Jesus? Has Jesus uh, changed you? Do you know God's word? Is it conforming you to the image of Christ? And, and it's not that you and I will ever have perfect obedience. That's not the measure of whether or not we're saved. Um, John even said, you, you know, when you do sin, or if you sin, you have an advocate. So yes, we will at times fail, but as we evaluate coming to know that we know, we, we look at <clears throat> uh, not just knowing about his word or knowing about Jesus or knowing the facts or the details of the gospel, but knowing Jesus, knowing the word of God, knowing the spirit of God, and knowing the gospel on a, on a transformative personal level. Um, you know, I think a lot of us really know about the Word. And I hope that transforms into doing God's Word. You know, I've talked to, uh, to a lot of people who are, um, who are in shape. Some of you are, are really, uh, really physically fit, right? Um, and, and a lot of people will tell you that they run, uh, that they enjoy running, or they enjoy physical fitness. Um, or they'll tell you that if I go a day, I, I start to feel a little sluggish, right? So they'll say that the secret to exercise is you have to push yourself to the point where your body is crying out, you know, no more. And, and then you push past that, and it's so worth it. Have, have any of you experienced that where you're, you're really you know, on the treadmill and it's starting to hurt, but then you just keep going and you, you enter this new phase where it's actually enjoyable, or maybe you're running outside and it's, you're, you're, you, you 
can't catch your breath, but then finally you get to the point where you do catch your breath and you're just flying. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I don't either. Um, I, I've never, I, I've not been there. Um, actually, I could say that I have, I have experienced that, uh, but for me, it usually happens around Thanksgiving where I load up a big plate, uh, keeping helping of everything that I want and, and, and turkey and stuffing and about seven different casseroles that I don't even know what to call them. And I load up the plate and when I'm done, my body is crying out, no more, there's too much pain. And I push past that. <laughs> you know? And, 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 and then I get apple pie and pumpkin pie. And I, I get all that there and it's, it's very enjoyable. So yes, I, I have experienced it in, in one way or another, but um, some of you have heard of Michael Phelps. He's a, a, a Olympic swimmer and an athlete. And, and it's interesting to me about Michael Phelps is that whenever he's training or competing, he eats 12,000 calories a day. Now, daily recommended is, you know, for most people, it's like 2,000. He, he eats 12,000 calories. I, I actually wrote down his rigorous training regimen, which is both physical and food. His meal plan while he's training is three, this is daily, okay? His meal plan per day is um, three fried egg sandwiches, oatmeal and blueberries, five, a five egg omelet, French toast, three chocolate chip pancakes, two ham and cheese sandwiches, one kilogram of pasta, one extra large pepperoni pizza, and a lot of energy drinks. And so Phelps, Michael Phelps, as an Olympic swimmer who is demanding more of his body, is able to eat more because he's, he's training or he's, he's competing. And Phelps can do that because he's actually burning 12,000 calories a day. Whereas if I tried to do that, I probably could put away 12,000 calories in one day. Certainly couldn't do it every day, but it would be horrible, okay? So I'm not gonna do that, but, but here's my point, and this is our conclusion. Do you know God's word? Well, it's not just a matter of knowing God's word. It's knowing and obeying. It's putting it into practice. See, spiritual obesity is knowing more Bible than I'm willing to obey. This is what we do. We know facts and details. And I'm going to know everything about, you know, the Old Testament. I'm going to know everything about the New Testament. I'm going to find, you know, drill me. Give me, give me, uh, give me a question. And I, I'm, I can... I can answer you about all the facts, but, but that's spiritual obesity because you know the Bible, but you're not willing to obey it. So do you know the gospel? Do you know Jesus personally? Not just like a Facebook friend, but as a part of your family. And do you know God's word in a way that, that you're willing to obey it? You're, you're, you're willing to allow the the word of God to transform your life. So the question is, do you know that you know him?